Today we look at Jonah chapter 3. If you haven't been following along or you're just joining us for the first time, we are studying the book of Jonah. And we're going to study Jonah for this week and next week, and then we're actually going to begin a series on the Lord's Prayer, looking at prayer as a whole, because I believe prayer is extremely important, but we'll get into that later on. Um, but if you've never heard the story of Jonah before, go back and listen to the last two messages. Um, let me give you a quick summary, and in this summary, I'm going to miss so much stuff, but just to bring you up to speed in case you missed, there's a man who's a prophet, his name is Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh and carry a message that God has for them to turn from their wicked way. Jonah hates the Ninevites. He wants nothing to do with them, so he goes the opposite way. He runs as far as he absolutely can to a place by the name of Philippi, right? I'm just I'm making sure you're paying attention. To Tarshish. He runs to Tarshish. On his way there, a supernatural storm comes to the point where even the sailors who are used to encountering storms are terrified. They throw Jonah overboard. Jonah goes down towards the bottom of the sea. He's covered by seaweed. He's about to pass out and all of a sudden a huge great fish comes, swallows him up, and he's there for three days and three nights. He has an encounter with God while in the fish and praying to God. Then he's vomited onto the shore. And that brings us to chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Jonah is all about mercy. God's mercy is on display in chapter 3 of Jonah in one of the greatest ways in all of Scripture. Now there's, there's instance after instance after instance of God's mercy in Scripture. So I'm not trying to put any lower on the list. But if you don't include Jonah chapter 3 when talking about God's mercy, you're missing something. Because here we see not only mercy for the people that are to carry the message, but also mercy for the messenger that disobeyed throughout his call. Scripture talks a lot about mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of the more familiar verses when we talk about mercy, right? That God's mercies are new every single day. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's mercy. Paul David Tripp, maybe you're familiar with, with him, but he writes the following in his devotional, New Morning, New Mercies. He said, One of the studying realities of the Christian life is that in a world where everything is in some state of decay, God's mercies never grow old. Think about that with me for a moment. Everything around you is dying, right? Your cell phone battery is dying. The trees that are out there, while they continue to grow, are in some state of decay. Their life is going to at some point come to an end, as will ours. Yet God's mercies, they never grow old. They never run out. He continues to write, they are never ill-timed. They never dry up. They never grow weak. They never get weary. They never fail to meet the need. They never disappoint. They never ever fail because they really are new every morning. Form fitted for the challenges, disappointments, suffering, temptations, and struggles with sin within and without are the mercies of our Lord. And then he goes on to write about the different types of mercies that we see in our life. Sometimes they're awe-inspiring mercies, rebuking mercies, strengthening mercies, hope-giving mercies, heart-exposing mercies, rescuing mercies, transforming mercies, 
mercies, forgiving mercies, provision-making mercies, uncomfortable mercies, glory-revealing mercies, truth-illuminating mercies, courage-giving mercies. And here in the story of Jonah today, we're reminded of God's mercy again and again and again. Let's pray together before we get into the passage. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for the story of Jonah. We thank you for not giving up on Jonah, but for continuing to use, and what a lesson it teaches us, of your great mercy and your patience. Father, communicate your truth clearly to us today. May truth be spoken and may truth be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me grab the remote here real quick. I think I... We're going to look at Jonah chapter 3, if you have your Bible with you, and we're going to start here in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now this is the second time that we actually read this statement, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? We read that back in chapter 1, very, very similar to what we see in chapter 1, except here we are included with a couple of other words. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The second time. See, we're not introduced in, in Jonah 3 to, to God's great anger towards Jonah or, or God's great frustration towards Jonah. We, we don't see that yet. What we see is God's continued patience with Jonah. All right, Jonah, you were just spit out onto the sea. Here's my message to you. Go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that I tell you. I just, I, I love, as I was studying this, I love how God included the phrase a second time because the God that we serve, it truly is a God of second chances. He's a God of second chances. Think about it with me right now. You're on your second chance. Jesus came to give you a second chance to turn your life around, to commit to God, to surrender to his way. And here, God tells Jonah again, go to Nineveh. You would think uh, that it would, God sparing Jonah's life might have changed his heart a little bit towards the Ninevites, but we're, we're not told of that at all, as a matter of fact. Instead that Jonah is obeying God. And then God says, listen, I, I want you to go and you're going to give the Ninevites the message that I tell you to give them. It actually reminds me a little bit of, of what God told Moses, go and I will be with you. The first step in obedience is going and being faithful. God said, I'll give you the message when you get there. But be faithful. Walk in faith. Step out in faith. And trust that I will be with you. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. It's estimated that the, the three days journey in breadth would actually be the diameter of the city of Nineveh or the surrounding city of the greater Nineveh, which puts the diameter of Nineveh at about 50 miles, if you understand what that means. It means that walking from one side of Nineveh to the other would take you three days. Three days. Can you imagine? This huge city filled with people that Jonah hates. And he's going to take them a message of mercy. It's not a small place. It's not a small town, but a place that's filled with people and with animals. Actually, in chapter 4, we'll look at. Much would have been happening here, but in verse 4, we're told that Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Jonah walks somewhere between 15 to 20 miles, a day's journey into the three days that it takes to get through the city. And he, he gets some point in the city and he, and he says this, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now we don't have a lot of context to exactly how Jonah said this. Was it, yeah, 40 days and then it'll be overthrown. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're man. I'm doing what God told me to do, but this is, yeah, 40 days and then it's going to be overthrown. Did he, did he go somewhere and, and scream it out with passion? I just don't get that from the character of Jonah. I feel like he's trying to obey God. But is he trying to do that to the fullest extent of his heart? Some commentators will, will say that the, the phrase 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown was just a portion of what Jonah would have shared with them. Other people say that this is Jonah acting like a young spoiled child and just trying to say what God told them to say and be done with them, hoping that they never repent and never turn. We're not given enough context within these verses to really understand which one, but a case could be made for either. We've talked a lot about Jonah's attitude, Jonah's heart through all of this, and uh, this is what he says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did you ever wonder why the people of Nineveh believed Jonah? Did you stop and ever think through that? It's a huge city. Jonah would not have been a favorite person there, right? A huge city in Assyria, and, and this, this random man walks through the city, and he starts saying, 40 days, 40 days and the sky's going to fall, right? Basically. 40 days and the world's going to end. 40 days and your city is done. What would you do if you're walking down the street? Let's say you, you didn't believe in the Bible, and some person starts yelling at you, 40 days and it's over. 40 days and it's done. Why did the people of Nineveh believe Jonah? <laughs> it's an important part of this story. See, God doesn't do things by coincidence. Instead, there's a purpose behind everything. If you remember back to chapter 1, I told you that Jonah's consequence would end up being something that would be part of the salvation for the people of Nineveh. That God chose Jonah for a reason. He was very specific in choosing Jonah. God didn't give up on Jonah. God knew what Jonah's choices would be. He knew that Jonah was going to look at him and be like, yeah, forget it, and run the other way. He knew that Jonah would get into a boat. See, the Assyrians worshipped a fish god by the name of Dagon. Fish god by the name of Dagon. Could it be possible that when Jonah was thrown over the ship, that the sailors who turned their lives around, that made a sacrifice to the Lord, that they started telling people about this man and this story? Could it be possible that, that when Jonah was vomited onto land, somebody was there and witnessed it? What in the world just came out of the water, right? We don't know. It's very, very, very unlikely that the fish vomited Jonah all the way to Nineveh, as Nineveh is not really close to water. It would have been another miracle watching just how far the fish would have had to shoot Jonah miles after miles after miles. That would have been another consequence, right? Ah, you're flying through the air. Instead, could it be possible that when Jonah was swallowed by the fish, that the acid from the fish's stomach burned him? 
It's going to be possible that while he was swallowed by the fish, there are different markings on his body from places he was cut. Could it be possible that he looked distinct walking through the city? Maybe. But what we do know is that the Assyrians, the Ninevites, worshipped a fish god by the name of Dagon, and God doesn't do anything by coincidence. Jonah ran to a boat. Why? Israelites, Jewish people were, were not big boat people. Why would he go to a boat? God knew Jonah was going to run the other way. He knew what Jonah would do. He knew that Jonah was going to run to Tarshish. He knew the decisions he was going to make. And he used all of Jonah's bad decisions to say, you know what, I can, you act that way. I'm still going to bring good out of it. Jonah walking through the city of Nineveh was a living testimony to the fact that there, that, that, that the God of, of the Israelite people, the God of Jonah was greater than any fish God that really doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, as Jonah walked through the city, he was a living testimony to that. It reminds me so much of the encounter between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. As they called on Baal, uh, listen, you, you got to do what we need you to do. And all the things that they did, and Elijah just kind of stands there. All right, guys. Places to be, people to see. He's patient with them. He lets them do what they want to do. And at the end, he said, let, let me show you my God. And the fire thunders down from heaven. I recently read a story about a boy and his father. And uh, the boy was trying to put together a puzzle that he had just got for his birthday. And he lays all the pieces out and he's spending all this time trying to put this puzzle together. Piece by piece, he's trying to connect them. And there are, there are pieces that are brighter than others. There are pieces that are larger than others. Oh, it's just a weird puzzle. And this, this little boy can't get it. And he's getting so frustrated. Finally, he puts it down and he says, I can't do this anymore. Dad, you try. And so his father says, okay, and comes over and puts the puzzle together in just a matter, a matter of minutes. And the little boy says, Dad, I don't know how you did this. And the father says, I, I know the whole picture. You're just looking at each individual piece. But I see the whole picture. See, the, the truth is that oftentimes in our lives, we don't know why God allows certain things to happen. I wonder, while Jonah was in the stomach of the fish, did he not think, all right, Lord, <laughs> there wasn't any other consequence you could have given to get my attention? And of course there was. But God was working to complete his plan. In each person's life, there are times of uh, uncertainty that we walk through where you look at what God has allowed to happen and you might question, Lord, why have you allowed this to enter into my life? Why have you allowed me to struggle with this or to wrestle with this? Why am I going through this right now? And it might not be clear. I can assure you of a couple things. One, God is working together for good. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. One of the most famous verses in the Bible but the other thing is, and that we need to seek God in and ask him, is to make clear what he's doing in our lives. I wonder, as Jonah was laying in the stomach of the fish, did he, did he sit there and he wonder, all right, all right, I know they worship Dagon. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. Or did, did, he, did he sit there and say, what, what in the world? I just don't get this, God. Why would you? I know I disobeyed, but there had to have been something else. Nothing is coincidence. 
I've oftentimes thought about that. And I, I don't want to skip over something I make sure, but I, uh, I've oftentimes thought about that when, when someone's going in for surgery or procedure and, and uh, other Christian brothers or sisters walk up and put their arm around them and say, hey, good luck. Good luck tomorrow, man. Hope it all works out for you. Wait a minute. Do we believe in luck? Is there such thing as luck? And I, listen, I'm, this, isn't, this isn't like a condemning statement or anything like that. But hear me. There is no such thing as luck. Luck doesn't exist. Jonah didn't luckily end up in the stomach of a fish. He wasn't luckily thrown overboard. He wasn't luckily vomited out to the shore. This is God working. And God is the one who ultimately is in control of all things. So next time you go up to tell someone, good luck, stop yourself and tell them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. It's a better one because the truth is there is no such thing as luck. But there's something else that we see here. And I don't want to skip over it, and I almost did. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days. The, the, the number 40 is a significant number in Scripture. It's an important number to notice. Whenever you come across the number 40 in Scripture, you should stop and look at everything else around it to make sure you're not missing something. See, the number 40 is used many times uh, to indicate a, a length of trial or trouble. Or temptation, maybe even. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. The rain fell with Noah for 40 days and 40 nights. Goliath mocked the Israelites for 40 days before the shepherd boy David decided to show up. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The maximum number of lashes that a man could receive by committing a crime under the law was 40. Israel served the Philistines for 40 years before Samson. Whenever you come across the number 40, Stop and look around and see what's going on. Now, while the Bible doesn't specifically say that every time you see the number 40, this is what you're going to see, and the number 40 literally means the number 40, right? Whether it's 40 years or, or 40 days, it oftentimes indicates some type of judgment, some type of trial, some type of temptation that is going on at that time. The Ninevites had 40 days to make their decision. 40 days to decide whether or not they were going to continue in their wickedness or turn to God. And they decided to repent. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. True repentance is what we see with these Ninevites at this time. True repentance. Now, now here's the deal. True repentance means that there's a true change. Right? There's a difference. There's a difference between the Ninevites. Up oh, here in the word of Jonah, you know what? <laughs> we, we were kind of wrong. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, I'm going back to life. They recognized the wickedness of their ways. And so they stopped. Everything stopped. To the point where even their animals couldn't eat or drink. True repentance leads to change. 
the message that Jonah carried was a message that caught their attention. They believed God. Because God had done things through Jonah, whether it was that he had markings on his body from, from carrying the message or, or God did something with his message and, and helped them to hear it more clearly. They heard his message and they truly repented of what they were doing from the most powerful to the least. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re reach repentance. As we work down in the last verse, the message that Jonah carried, 40 days and, and you're going to be destroyed, 40 days and you're going to be overthrown, was a call to repentance to the Ninevites. You can see even the king is, is hoping that God will relent of his fierce anger. You and I have a message of hope to carry to a world where God's great grace and mercy have been demonstrated. Are you carrying it? Because the, the reality of it is, and, and I appreciated uh, Pastor Paul's Sunday school class today, there are people that we walk by every day who are dead in their sin. To whom if the Lord would come back tomorrow, there would remain no hope for them. What are you doing about it? You've been given the answer, the key. Are you responding in faithfulness to what God has commanded you? As I look around the wickedness of the world, I find myself saying, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Yet at the same time, I realize there are so many people dead in their sin. What am I doing about it? See, it's easy when we're gathered together, right? In a room like this, in a Sunday school class, it's easy. But what about when you leave here? Are you willing to truly carry the message of, of grace and hope to those around you realizing that it could cost you something? We have to be, if we truly believe that salvation is found here, that hope is found here, to a world that is filled with hate beyond explanation. I'm sure just as, as much as I am, you look around at everything you see and you read and it's hard to believe how much people, how angry people are, how much people hate each other. Yet the message of hope is found here. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The Ninevites... The wickedness of people. That, that word overthrown actually ties back to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You'll be overthrown. Uh, this was a wicked, wicked, wicked place. And they stopped. And they repented before God. And they found the mercy of the Almighty. God showed them great mercy by not giving them what they deserved. How many times in life do we ask 
for what we think we deserve. But the Ninevites found their mercy in God not giving them what they deserve. Because their repentance, they were still wicked. Their repentance did not mean that they deserved mercy. Yet God was merciful to them because they responded to him. He relented of what he said he would do. The mercy found in Nineveh happened because God led Jonah and Jonah obeyed. God used Jonah. He didn't want to give up on Jonah. He specifically chose Jonah for that task, realizing the mistakes that Jonah would make. And God has called you in your life to something. And, and everybody's life is a little bit different. But each and every believer is called to ministry. Right? To ministry. Within whatever scope your life is. No matter what your job is. Or who your friend circle is. You are called to ministry. You are called to carry the gospel message to a people who are wicked. To a people who are dying. Are you willing to do that? I've heard it said before, well, you know what, we live in a really Christian country and, and pe people have already heard or, or you know, they'll, they'll hear somehow, it doesn't have to be from me. But Romans 10 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And they, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Maybe you've heard that saying before. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that before? Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Uh, well, your, your life is important. The way we live is important. But there is no gospel message without words. It's a pet peeve of mine every time that one comes up. There is no gospel message without words. You have to speak to those around you. Jonah had to literally go. He couldn't just walk into the city of Nineveh and put his arm around somebody and say, Listen, it's, you know, I'm here for you, man. He had to proclaim the truth which God had given him. And you and I have to do the same. Not only here, not only there, but once we leave this place and the people that we are around. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have all not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. You have a voice. Use it. Speak the truth to a culture, to a world that's becoming more wicked and that is dying. Chapter 3 of Jonah, we see a merciful God who uses an imperfect person to carry a message of hope to a wicked people. I love, Charles Spurgeon summarizes this and he said, Listen, if, if we were going to come up with a plan of how we were going to bring revival to Nineveh, and how we were going to change that city 50 miles in diameter, all that. We would, we would implement a whole bunch of different missionary teams, right? We would find a whole bunch of different teams. And each of those teams would, would have a, maybe have a different leader. And, and people would have different roles. And they would take a different section of the city. And some would be over here. And some would be over there. But God chose one person. He chose Jonah. He didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't kick him to the side when Jonah decided to disobey. He used him despite his mistakes, despite his failures. God was merciful. God was patient. And God used Jonah to accomplish something tremendously great. There was no internet that Jonah could proclaim his message in. He walked through the city himself. 
And God used that one person to bring revival to many. God can use anyone to accomplish his purpose. He can even use me. And he can even use you. And he wants to use you. Are you willing to let him use you for what he has in store? Here's what I want you to do today. Here's my challenge to you on top of other things. I want you to go home and I want you to think about your life and and how you're impacting people for the kingdom. And I want you to, to stop and I want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe not what am I doing, but what do you want me to do? Communicate it clearly to me. Humble my heart. Speak truth to me. I want to listen. Because ultimately, the best path you can ever walk on in this life is the path that God has set for you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the story of Jonah, for the continued story of mercy and grace. Father, we reflect on the life of Jonah, and and it's so easy to become proud and stubborn. I confess that in my own heart, I become proud and stubborn. And Lord, I thank you for your continued mercy and and grace, which is on display in chapter 3 and the whole story. God, each and every one of us have been given a purpose. You've called us to something. Within the sphere, uh, whatever world we exist in, Lord, you have called us to that. Whether it's with coworkers or friends or children, may we boldly proclaim the word of the Lord that was given to us. Humble our hearts, O God. Tell us what you want for us to do, what you want our life to look like. And Father, I pray that you would penetrate any sin that exists, that you would tear it down. Because you are God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.